unreal. This is Arthur, that is Isaac, and this is our final installment of our special 007 and Counting uh, series, our review of all of the Daniel Craig, James Bond films, uh, leading up to the, tw- the 25th. Still 25th, right? Nothing's changed. On the <laughs> yeah, the actually, it's, it's been pushed back so far, so many times, and now it's the 26th <laughs> film. That's official. 26. Mm. 26.5 film, yeah. No Time to Die that uh, we hope will be released um, in November of 2021? Mm, April is what they're saying. Um, we're, we're hoping for November. Oh, you're saying November. You're saying, saying November. Yeah, well, yeah, we are saying November just to, 2021. Just play, this, this show. Just to play it safe. To yeah. be able to better manage manage our emotions mm-hmm. on when it's going <laughs> to actually come out. Mm-hmm. Um, well, we want to talk about the 24th uh, film, the most current release James Bond film called Spectre. Uh, released in 2015, and we're actually this this episode. We we should say we are releasing this episode today because today is the day that this this film was most recently before the most recent postponement or pushback. The film was supposed to drop um, in the U.S. today, November 25th. Um, mm. So yeah, it's kind of it's it's a bittersweet day, but you know just to keep the heads up um, and to kind of like, you know, keep the the morale going for uh, Bond fans. Um, We wanted to just drop this episode today and at least at least have something to like look at, talk about, discuss, Mm -hmm. you know, Bond related um, as we're continuing to wait for No Time to Die. Um, And it's also notable, notable, Arthur, I think that, you know, this we are what a week and a half, two weeks removed from the passing of uh, Sean Connery at this point, I think. Has it been two weeks? I think it is. and so this film that we're going to talk about today was kind of a, and we'll get into it obviously, but kind of a return to form, um, you know, in, 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 in regards to what's regarded as like, you know, uh, typical, you know, 007 um, James Bond mm-hmm. activity, yeah. mm-hmm. um, hearkening all the way back to the Connery era. So it's, it's kind of a, a juxtaposition or kind of like a um, amalgamation of a lot of different things that are coming together um, for us as we record this. So it's going to be interesting, man. I'm interested. I'm excited to get into it. All right. Well, um, let's just jump right in. Let's um, just get into a few mad facts about this film. Uh, one thing I didn't realize um, before I was doing my uh, research for this mm-hmm. Skyfall. The film preceding Spectre, Skyfall grossed over a billion dollars worldwide, almost one point two billion. Right. Um, the highest grossing Bond film by far. Now Spectre uh, almost made nine hundred million at the mm-hmm. box office. However, it was uh, at the time the most expensive Bond film to make. The budget really? being $245 million. Yeah. Now, No Time to Die reportedly is uh, about $250 million. So give or take, I think they're neck and neck, Spectre and uh, the upcoming No Time to Die. But wait a minute, it, it, costs it, costs more to to make, these it costs more to make Spectre than Skyfall? Yeah. Mm, that's interesting. Yeah. Okay. I wonder where that money so. went. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> where that extra, where does those that extra whatever mill go? Where did that go to? Okay, maybe that was Daniel Craig. He became, I know he became maybe, a producer on maybe. this film. Uh, I don't know if he was a producer on Skyfall. Maybe he was, but mm. he's a producer on Spectre, which is not very common. I don't think he may be the first Bond actor to become a producer on one of the films. Um, but he made a lot of money, you know, off of off of that that production credit. Mm. One other notable, um, Monica Bellucci was, uh, who plays Lucia, uh, Sciarra in the film, uh, at 50 years old, she was the, uh, oldest so-called Bond girl to appear in a James Bond film. Mm. thought that was interesting. Um, and I know we'll get to the, to the song, but, uh, Sam Smith's theme, Writings on the Wall, actually won an Academy Award for Best Original Song. Mm-hmm. 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 Right. Yeah. <laughs> so, so set the scene for me, man. What's where are we at? We after well, this post Skyfall. So the world, the world of James Bond, the Bond world is happy, right? Everybody's like, even people who didn't necessarily fall in love with Skyfall, the success of that film is kind of like brought Bond right, like up to the pinnacle, you know, even higher than Casino Royale, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um. We were really looking forward to Spectre. We were feeling good about Bond films. Um, Bond himself, you know, the way Craig portrays him, uh, feel uh, he carries himself. Not to preempt uh, when we're really going to, you know, talk about um, Craig as Bond in this film, but you know, he's he's feels good about himself in the in the light of uh, M's death, uh, Dame Judi Dench. And he he's kind of got his 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 cockiness swag back a little bit. He knows that he's viewed as a dinosaur and uh, he knows that the double O program uh, is, you know, hangs in the balance. And he's kind of carries himself like, yeah, I mean, what else is new? I've always known that. Mm. Um, Did you get the sense that that this movie takes place, you know, fairly close you know in terms of time after um skyfall Mm, well it depends on what you mean fairly i I would i felt that it was about a year after the events of skyfall see i was i felt like it was months because you might be right because it takes a while to because i was thinking about mi6 you know the headquarters got bombed their former headquarters they moved Mm-hmm. And then they were, you know, at the beginning of the film, Tanner makes the comment about, yes, yeah, being rigged for demolition like next week. Mm-hmm. Um, and it does take a while to line something like that up. You know, it's not like yeah. that happens, you know, the next night. So maybe a year. But I, yeah, so you might be because I, I was thinking maybe three or four months. But you, you're probably it's probably closer to what you're saying, you know, in between maybe nine months and a year. Um, but yeah. also because that whole aspect of the you know the double o section is you know is played out and you know it's not useful anymore we just went over that in skyfall you know saying it was Mm -hmm. just like we they just had those hearings it was like that was Mm -hmm. kind of the plot line skyfall so and yeah and craig you see that in bond's face he's getting chastised by uh the new m played by ralph fines Mm -hmm. um for going uh unauthorized to mexico city where he's tracking a, an assassin mm-hmm. um, based on instructions that he got 
on a on you know a videotape or a DVD you know from M. <laughs> right. Posthum- I, don't know, I don't know what posthumously. I don't know what M's tech was. I don't know if she was you know was, was it a VHS. Was it Blu-ray? You know, we don't know what M was working yeah, with. Yeah, we don't know what M was working with. It might have been a flash drive, Arthur. She might have sent him the whole computer. <laughs> <laughs> and a cable. I don't know how to get it off of here. My grandson helped me record this. So you just hear. And it was right. like one of those big, thick, like, you know, HP, you know, joints. That, you know, just here. You know, it's, it's on there somewhere. Yeah. She didn't even tell it, yeah. what the name of the file was. It's just right. on there. Yeah, right. Her login is probably like one two three M, which which (laughs) (laughs) explains why James was always able to hack into her stuff. (laughs) But you know, and he tells Money Penny, um, the reason why he's gone, you know, somewhat rogue and unauthorized was because of this message that he received from M posthumously, for Mm -hmm. that if anything happens to her, Mm -hmm. you know. Find this guy, track this guy, right? You right. know, and don't miss the funeral. So it right. takes time, and he tells Money Pen, "I've been, I've been tracking him." Yeah, I've been tracking him for a while. So yeah, you, you're, you're, you're probably right. It's probably closer to a year. So let's let's set the stage a little bit though, because yeah, the Skyfall success is part of the story as far as the anticipation for this film goes. Mm-hmm. This film came Skyfall is 2012, Spectre 2015, um, but that wasn't the only anticipation. It was the fact that we hadn't seen or heard the name Spectre in a James Bond film since Thunderball. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you had, you know, I'm not going to go too deep into it because there's books, there's many books that have been written about this that you can go check out. But there was a whole legal epic entanglement with the rights over the um, Thunderball story, which included, you know, Spectre and mm-hmm. Blofeld and all these things. And so Eon... Um, productions was caught up in this legal battle with kevin mcclory over these things and that's why you never saw blofeld or specter after thunderbolt you did mm-hmm. see blofeld presumably blofeld what was that at the, at the beginning of uh what was it was it man with the gold no it wasn't man with the golden gun i thought it was um, later like moon for your eyes only or... no for your eyes for only. your eyes okay remember when roger moore drops him down that you know uh uh like um, smoke airplane stack. or yeah he's in a helicopter he drops him. anyway they alluded to i mean it was basically blowfell but they never said his name you know mm-hmm. um so it was like it was one of those things um but we other than that you know and that's why quantum was created you know uh ostensibly that's why quantum was created because they couldn't have a specter organization mm-hmm. by name so they created one and, and called it quantum um so anyway when fans heard about eon getting the rights back to specter and able to use that name and those characters. Um, and then that reveal happened when Sam Mendes came back as director and, you know, revealed the name of the film Spectre. Within, I think, the Bond, Super Bond fans, like, got mad excited, man. It was just mm-hmm. like, this is what we've been waiting for. I mean, I mean, imagine, like, if Darth Vader, you know, you couldn't use his name after Empire Strikes Back. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. And it was like, you couldn't, you can never say Darth Vader, which would have made it awkward because, you know, you needed him to return to the Jedi. But you get my point. Yeah. So then all of a sudden, you know, 30 years later, you know, it's announced that they got the rights back and now they can bring Vader back. You know, that would have been, you know, it was that level of craziness. Um, and so that 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 and the fact that Skyfall was so successful really kind of created this atmosphere of um, intense anticipation and mm-hmm. excitement of mm-hmm. both fans, of diehard fans and casual fans. So let's see if they delivered. Uh, the pre-title sequence. My thoughts, 
<laughs> are that this actually is is my favorite pre-title sequence of the Craig era. Hmm. With the asterisk in that the opening to Casino Royale, even though we do have a short pre-title sequence mm-hmm. that l- tells you how Bond got his double O status, mm-hmm. for me, the real pre-title sequence is the chase. Okay. Oh yeah, yeah, with Malacca. And, that yeah. is yeah. that's the that is that's the pinnacle. Mm-hmm. But technically, it's, it's not, not a pre-title, pre-title. Right, right. sequence. Um, let, but this one is. Let me ask you before the, you get into your likes on the pre-title. Let me ask you a quick question. Something happened before the pre-titles that hasn't happened in at that point for I think like thirteen years. There was there no was gun a barrel. Gun barrel for the first time since I believe Die Another Day. Um, there's a gun barrel, and. Yeah, because then we didn't get one in Casino. Quantum, it was at the end of Quantum. I think it was in Skyfall. It was kind of like the in the hallway, you know, gun barrel. It wasn't a real gun barrel. And I think I think they did one at the end of that film, too. But long story short, we got a gun barrel for the first time. And that that kind of was like the announcement that, you know what? All that stuff that happened between Casino Royale and Skyfall has created, you know, all that stuff that Bond went through. Because mm-hmm. he was a rookie, basically, in Casino Royale, rookie double yeah. O. Mm-hmm. All that stuff that happened has got him to this point where now we are going to present to you the James Bond that you're very familiar with. You know, the one you saw in Goldfinger, you know, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and all these traditions, you know, and kind of tropes are coming back. And we'll talk about whether that was the right move or the wrong move. But, yeah, the, the gun barrel was the the first sign of that. So I'm sorry. So you, the pre-titles you, for you, that was the pre-titles are the best of, of the Craig era. Yeah. I loved it. Um, starts in Mexico city, takes the, the, the setting is Mexico city. Um, during the festival for, uh, the day of the dead. So you have a packed, I mean, it's, it's it, it just, you, you have a densely, densely populated area and everyone is celebrating you've got you probably have like two three different parades going on at the same time mm-hmm. and it's a one camera shot for i tried to time it but then just just lost count but i mean you've got like what what two two to three minutes yeah, with no cuts yeah i think it may be even longer than that but yeah Mm-hmm. All the way um, till uh, yeah, because we follow the scope. Like when he kneels on the top of the the uh, roof, we follow over his shoulder into the into the uh, the apartment across the street. So yeah, there's no dialogue until right at the end of that sequence where we see Bond IDing his mark, mm-hmm. who's this assassin that he's been tracking. Bond, who's with an unnamed woman. We never see her again. Estrella. I only know that because, you know, <laughs> I researched. But yes, Estrella. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and we see we see them, you know, go into a hotel, um, go up an elevator, you know, go into a hotel room, uh, at which point, you know, Estrella thinks that they're uh, about to be intimate uh, and then she breaks uh, the silence by saying, where are you going? And and 
the camera pans to James, who is in a different, you know, is in a different suit. Right, he took all, yeah, he, he just took off right the, uh, yeah, he took off the costume and was like, you know, about to go handle business. And what was the line? He said, "What? I'll be right back." Yeah. Oh, no, he said, I'll, "I won't be long." Yeah. Very, very. How do you? How do you? I, I just mean, saw. I just saw. It you had a night. great you, memory. You just saw it the other night. How come you don't remember? <laughs> I mean, I'm looking at the set design. I'm taking in a lot of information. <laughs> We're gonna find out what you remember when we get to the Q and A section, um, <laughs> the trivia section. So I hope you was paying attention. Um, but yeah, I, I won't be long. I, you know what? The reason that sticks in my mind is because again, we're getting back into these classic 007 tropes, and up until this point, Daniel Craig had been smooth. You know, he had been, you know, ladies man smooth, Mm -hmm. but there's a cavalier attitude that we see in this film that we didn't necessarily get in the other ones. You just mentioned it earlier. You know, he's kind of he kind of takes everything in stride in this film, Mm -hmm. whereas that wasn't him in Skyfall. And it definitely wasn't him in Quantum of Solace. You know, he didn't take anything Mm -hmm. in stride in Quantum of Solace, Mm -hmm. um, except for maybe when he was hitting on uh, Strawberry Fields. But there is that kind of. tongue-in-cheek you know whimsy about him in this in this movie and so when he says that to her it was that first kind of hint of that you know it was a little different than than we got a little different flavor than we got from him in other films so he yeah he kind of he takes off the little the costume or whatever and she's looking up and i'm like hold up where you you, where are you going first of all you leaving me you know saying there's many men that would be killed to be right here in this position that you're in right Mm -hmm. now Mm -hmm. and you're not just leaving the room you're leaving through the window why are you leaving through the window and where did that gun come from? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? It's like, <laughs> that's that's where, what's uh-huh. up? What are we about to get into? And so then, yeah, he looks at it and just says, you know, he pauses and he says, I won't be long. You know, and it was just really kind of cool. And it's like, oh, shit. Like, this this is a different type of Daniel Craig Bond. Um, so, okay, so continue, though. There's not always a direct link to what happens in the pre-title. Right. And you like it when that happens, right? I think you you see, you like it when there's a link. I, I I do, and mm-hmm. and in here it is it is really subtle, but it's when James, who is able to surveil what his mark, um, the assassin, um, oh, what's the dude's name, Skiara, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. a conversation that Skiara is having in a building, a, essentially across the street from the rooftop that Bond is on. Right, and he hears uh, Skiera refer to the Pale King, mm-hmm. and it's this Pale King that sets off a series of of events, you know, and coming to uh, you know the you know the the major plot point of the whole film. Mm-hmm. Um, Bond effectively goes into Bond mode and is able to kill everyone in the room except for Skiara, whom he wounds. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, in the midst of that, now this is what I didn't, this is what I wasn't clear on. Okay. Bond takes at least two, possibly three shots from across the street, from a rooftop into a hotel room window. Mm-hmm. Through a hotel room window. There's an explosion that happens from within the room. What I didn't, what I'm not clear on is if it was Bond, you know, there'll be like these weapons that effectively, here's your, you know, you have a, uh, you know, you've got a barrel, but you've also got effectively like a grenade launcher. Right. And I don't know if it was Bond that launched this grenade into the room or if something 
was some explosion was set off in the room from the bullets that Bond was shooting into the room. Because basically the explosion was big enough that it caused the demolition of this building. Right. So what happened was because Ciara, I don't know if it's Ciara or Skiara. We'll go with Skiara. I think it's Ciara, but we'll go with Skiara. Marco Skiara was there to meet with his contacts because they were planning to blow up a stadium. You know, later on that day, you know, after right. lunch, after lunch, right, right, right. So they're going to blow up a stadium. Um, they met that morning, so they were exchanging money and, I guess, materials. So in that briefcase were some explosives, um, and that's what Bond shoots because he takes out he takes out the two, ah, he takes okay. out the two henchmen because they're they're, mm-hmm. they're they're weaponed up. You know, Marco Sciarra is not. I guess he's he's not carrying. I guess so. As soon as he he's about to take out Sciarra, the guy, one of the henchmen, sees you know, the, uh, the little light or whatever from, from Bond's, uh, uh, targeting scope. his scope. Mm-hmm. And yeah, thank you. And then the, you know, the henchman is about to shoot. So Bond goes in and takes out the henchman first. When he goes back to Skiara, Skiara is taken off. Is about to run out the room and Bond notices, you know, the briefcase there and he, okay, those are the explosives. So let me hit that. Mm-hmm. And that gives mm-hmm. me the best chance of, you know, taking this cat out. And in real life, obviously it would have worked because the whole building would have been, you know, toast, but right. Skiara makes it out of there. What got me about it though was that, yeah, that building falls down. I'm like, how many people just died? You know what I'm saying? Thank like, you. Yeah, <laughs> you're trying to like keep you know the stadium from getting exploded. That you know that's honorable. But you, how many people did you just kill in this building that just fell? You know, and they never they never mentioned that again. So I guess Mm-mm. I think we're meant to presume that that was some sort of abandoned building. You know, I guess that's what it would have been nice to get a line of dialogue that said that though. Um, yeah, we, we hope. Are, I guess because yeah, yeah, we hope that that was supposed kill to kill however many hundreds of people of color. But right. you know, right? Exactly. King and know, country, so. it's all good. Right. Right. <laughs> Which did you also did you notice? And they and this has been on. I've seen this online several times. They point. You know, many people point out that Sam Mendes and his cinematographer um, Hoyt Van Hoytema, who's you know a legend, um, they made a decision that a lot of Western um, filmmakers do when they're shooting in specifically Mexico, but other, you know, uh, Central American countries or South American countries. Mm-hmm. It was that orange, you know, uh, sepia tint to everything. And mm-hmm. I've seen online mm-hmm. where people have color corrected it. So it's like getting rid of all that orange tint. It's night and day, Arthur. It's night and day. You got to mm-hmm. Google it and check it out. Um, it's actually better without the orange tint. But it's just very interesting that these Western filmmakers, you know, they go down to Mexico or whatever, and then everything is orange, you know, um, to give this sense of, you know, desert and, you know, everything becomes very monochromatic. And it's like, nah, it's not like that. You know, it's just like when people shoot, uh, you, when you see films shot in Russia, um, mm-hmm. it's always winter. It's always cold. You know, mm-hmm. and it's like, not nah, there's, there's summer in Moscow. You know what I'm saying? There's, <laughs> there's, there's summers there. Uh-huh. Um, it does. The sun comes out, you know. But uh, so yeah, that was interesting. But um, okay, so I, I have some thoughts on pre-sodals too. But you go ahead, you because I think that you 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 dug this a little bit more than me. So you wrap it up. Well, yeah. I mean, I'm about well, I'm about done. The mm-hmm. I did like the the helicopter um, sequence where it's Bond and uh, Scarra fighting on the exterior of the uh, of the helicopter. And just all these 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 things where it's like you don't really see it in this, you know, there's always these multiple things that Bond has to manage. Mm-hmm. He's gotta manage him not him himself not falling to his death. Mm-hmm. You know, he's gotta manage 
not crashing the helicopter and then dying. And then he's also got to manage not killing even more people in mass. Mm-hmm. Um, there <laughs> if was, he a, right. if he can, <laughs> there was a certain unspoken concern that I felt that this bond had that did, that was not present in rookie bond mm-hmm. casino Royale. There was a, there's a certain maturity in this bond mm-hmm. that has gone from, Casino to Quantum to Skyfall and now to Spectre as he becomes more confident in his own abilities. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I I have I have issues with this this pre titles and, and I'm I'm in the minority. Most of mm-hmm. you know online and just you know other um, people within the quote unquote bond community I listen to they're in line with you. You know they they this is one of the more highly regarded pre-title sequence i do like the long shot um that starts it out Mm -hmm. uh, following Mm -hmm. bond and australia australia all the way from the you know the street up into the room i thought that was really well done and then bond you know following bond out into the rooftop um i think that for me this you know essentially what this comes down to man it's a fight in a helicopter that's essentially what it is yeah and on the face of it i don't have any issue with that beat but i contrast it with um, the fight in Casino Royale mm-hmm. when he's trying to keep the tanker from the, the the airplane from blowing up. You know, when the guy the the um the assassin is you know trying to drive that you know the explosives into that plane. You know, yeah. on, at the yeah. airport, the Miami yeah. airport. Yeah, I contrasted with that because that was essentially a fight in a truck. So on one hand, you got a fight in a helicopter, fight in a truck. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. They could either go that they could be very boring or it could be very exciting. And I found that I found that what they did with the fight in the truck and Casino Royale was just much more engaging to me. Um, to your point, he did have to manage a lot of things in that fight, you know, in um, Casino Royale. He was trying to keep himself from falling off of that truck. He mm-hmm. was trying to um, defeat, you know, the assassin um, who was driving at the time. It was, you know, uh, Basically, Bond had to make sure they didn't crash. He wanted to keep the the tanker from hitting the side of the plane and blowing up the plane. Yeah. There was a lot going on in there, but there was something more. The way that was filmed um, was just just much more engaging to me than the way this was filmed. And I the problem I had though one of the problems I had Arthur is that the green screen again. I, I was impressed like you were with you know looking at that when they showed the wide shots and you saw that helicopter above mm-hmm. all those people. And I don't know if all those people were extras or did they digitally insert some of those people? I don't know. Mm-hmm. Um, but either way, it was impressive, you know, to see that helicopter basically spinning out of control over literally hundreds of thousands of people. You know, that was crazy. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But I think where I had a problem is that when they did some of the close-ups inside of the, uh, the helicopter and Bond is hanging outside of it, it was clearly green screen behind him. It did not look good at all. Mm. And what compounded this for me is that this movie came out in November 2015. In July of 2015, Mission Impossible Rogue Nation came out. Okay. Mm -hmm. So, and you're going to hear me reference Mission Impossible Rogue Nation and Mission Impossible Fallout before, again, before this, this episode is over. Because those two films, especially Fallout, but those two films really raised the bar, man, on this, this genre. Mm -hmm. And this was the beginning of, I think... It was very interesting because on one hand, you have Mission Impossible Rogue Nation, 
trying to basically level up and take that whole genre of spy action thriller to next level. And then on the other hand, you had Bond trying to look back, like we just said a few minutes ago, to mm-hmm. classic Bond mm-hmm. isms, Bond tropes, mm-hmm. and get back in the groove of what in our mind we expect Bond to be. Mm-hmm. And I thought it was very interesting because on the on on paper that means one franchise is looking for the at the future, another mm-hmm. franchise is looking at the past. Mm-hmm. And again, you know, we're going to get into it throughout the whole film, but just looking at the pre-title sequence, there were things I liked about the pre-titles. You know, I liked yeah. the kind of the swag that Bond had, which reminded me of Connery or Roger Moore or Pierce Brosnan, that mm-hmm. type of swagger to him. I liked that. But I didn't like the fact that it felt that um, they didn't pay enough attention to where they were. It was like some of these things would work very well 20, 30, 40 years ago, incredibly well. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But in 2015, the game had been the game that, you know, the, the, the game had changed. You know, the bar had been, had been uh, heightened and been raised. So, yeah. I, and, you know, it just felt anticlimactic to me, man, when. He gets, you know, he kicks dude out the plane, which was actually crazy, man. When he kicks, he kicks Shiar out the plane, like, like nothing. It was just like, oh, I guess he's dead. You know, it's like, that was it. (laughs) Throws the the pilot out the plane, nothing. You know, it's like, it was just crazy. And it was kind of a brutal fight. So I kind of like those moments. But then the music builds. And by the way, Thomas Newman, um, he's not Danny. He's not uh, uh, Danny Arnold, but he, yeah, he brought it. You know, he did bring it. Um, But anyway, the music builds. And we see, you know, the the helicopter is about to, like you said, about to hit the crowd and then Bond gets it under control and, you know, yanks back and then it comes up. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I remember being in a theater thinking, is that it? Like, that's, you know, what I'm saying that's that's the big moment. That was it. Like he he pulled the handle back and the, the you know, the plane didn't hit the people. That was it. And that was it. And it was just like, OK, look at the Spectre ring. Spectre is about to jump off. Let's get into the titles. Mm-hmm. So I, I just I, I felt, you know, it felt a little anticlimactic to me. And I, I just I didn't get. And again, I know I'm in the minority because it seemed like everybody really likes this pre titles, but it did, it just didn't hit me that way. Um, yeah. Yeah. That's that's where that's where I'm at. But let's let's move into uh, the song. Let's talk about Sam mm-hmm. Smith's writing on the wall. Yeah. Arthur, was this yeah. on your playlist in 2000, the winter of 2015? Nope. <laughs> Has it been on your playlist since? Never. Have you ever listened to it outside of the film or have you only listened to the song in the context of the movie? Not by choice. <laughs> That's a good answer. Why? <laughs> Why? What are it's your thoughts like, on Sam Smith's writing on the wall? It's underwhelming. Hmm. Um, I thought Adele's theme was much better and it felt like his version of Adele's theme. Hmm. And I remember when uh, uh, the Billie Eilish theme was released earlier this year to No Time to Die. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I remember talking to you about how, yo, this, doesn't, this sound like, doesn't this sound like riding on the wall? <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? Mm-hmm. Um, like it's this t- at this point, like maybe maybe Adele Skyfall is like a template mm-hmm. now, you know, and we've had three ballads in a row. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and, oh. and I'm and I am counting No Time to Die. But it's like we've had th- three ballads in a row and there's no 
you know, I need a little bit of a of a mix. But historically, Bond themes are ballads. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but, but Adele's was is a ballad, but it's much more it's it's stronger. It's much more mid tempo. It's much more powerful than I think either. Yeah, and I think that Ryan has I think that has that to me that has more to do with Adele and 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 her in you know in her delivery. Mm-hmm. Um and I think I said it when we talked about uh Skyfall. Um I think I mentioned Shirley Bassey. And mm-hmm. ha- um because I did feel that Adele kind of needed to kind of bring the Shirley Bassey to it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um Radiohead had recorded a theme to this. I'm inherently biased because I'm a Radiohead fan. Um, uh, and I will admit that it didn't completely fit, but Radiohead's, which is entitled Spectre, mm-hmm. um, had a more personable touch to it where writings on the, writing on the wall um, seems more maybe expected or protective I, I think a lot of people probably haven't heard that that Radiohead, even though it's readily available. A lot of people may have not heard that. So let's actually let's listen to a few minutes of, or at least a minute of that Radiohead. Radiohead version. I wish they would have used it, even though, like you said, maybe it isn't it isn't a perfect fit. But I like it better than for this film, better than Writing on the Wall. Writing on the Wall, man. I tried very hard to like that song. I remember like mm-hmm. listening to it in 2015 when it first was dropped. You know, prior to the film coming out, trying to find you know something in there that's like okay, this is you know because I you know I, I'm not a big Adele fan, but I really appreciated Skyfall. You know, mm-hmm. I, I think it's it's one of the better songs of the entire series. Um, it worked very well for that film. Uh, but yeah, writing on the wall, it just, I don't know why I, it's still a mystery to me as to why they went that direction. Um, it's a very, it doesn't have a really strong hook, um, mm-hmm. which is kind of one of the, you know, standards for bond songs. Um, it doesn't have, it, it, it's, it's related to the film, but not in a way that's like, you know, expanding that narrative like Skyfall mm-hmm. did. Um. Yeah, it's just it's 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 very forgettable you, to me. Very. Forgettable. You know what it is, Isaac, and I think that Spectre was Eon playing it safe. We made over a billion dollars with Skyfall. Mm-hmm. Let's keep to what we know works. Placate the fans, kind of like a Force Awakens. Okay, so yeah, so we both you know really weren't feeling. We're split on the pre-titles, but as far as the. Um, theme of the, the song for the film, we really are. Yeah, both that weren't feeling that. Now, I I felt better about the title sequence, the sequence itself. See, I didn't like that. <laughs> now, here's the thing, because I was hard on the whole return of the you know Bond and naked women, and right. you know, this one they, they definitely feeling all over him. There were, were there, in this one. I, th- I think they came in at towards the end, but there was a lot of just Bond and well, a he lot was of shirtless octopus. and. 
Yeah. yeah. I, now, I now see, here's the thing. Octopus. I actually like. I actually like the ink, the inky motif. Mm-hmm. From the and I like that okay. he's looking at the ring. We go into the octopus on the ring, and now we're in the title sequence, and it's this octopus theme, mm-hmm. you know, throughout all of it. Um, it kind of gives some. Uh, uh, it's, it's like it gives a nod to the idea that Spectre is everywhere. Right. Right. You yeah. Know, um, yeah Blofeld you know, specifically. Special executive counterintelligence i don't know i can't i can never remember the acronym um terrorism revenge extortion i think something along those lines they got their they got their hands in many pies Mm -hmm. and when we when the sequence is done and we come out of the sequence into the into the film we come back the same way we came in the same octopus portal Mm -hmm. um i was i I was i was fine with it Mm -hmm. it wasn't casino royale but i mean yeah i I appreciate it i liked it better than skyfall I appreciated the storytelling, you know, that it was attempting to do. I just too many octopuses. If I had to have a, you know, uh, you know, judge me if you want, but if I had to have a choice between the naked women and the octopus, mm-hmm. I'll take the naked women. You know, and and mm-hmm. and I get your point as far as at some point it started to feel, especially when you get into the eighties, when we're supposed to be more progressive than this. You know, started to feel like, why are these just he just throwing naked women in there? And it's like, this isn't, mm-hmm. you know, this has nothing to do with the story. Why are there just silhouettes right. of naked women in there? Um, you know, we can get rid of them, but I, that doesn't mean I want to see a bunch of octopus. You know, that's not doing it. Like, I got it as far as the association, like you said, to Spectre. And yeah. that's their logo, blah, blah, blah. But it felt like after a while, when they were, the octopus was like wrapping around Daniel, wrapping around the naked women wrapping mm-hmm. around you know the guns it was just like all right this is this is getting out of hand so i i wasn't a big fan of the, the titles but um so yeah that for me not a big fan of the titles not a big fan of the the theme song so those you know four or five minutes or whatever were kind of forgettable but but one one thing though you did notice okay so in that title sequence we see um an allusion towards the past i think is you know comes mm-hmm. in the lyrics you know he makes an allusion towards the past but then you get you know Silva, Vesper, yeah, M. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know if the Chifre, the Chifre may have been in there too, but I think he was. I think he was. Right. So you see all their images, and they get smashed in the glass. What did you think about that as a way to foreshadow what we're about to get in this film? You know, this these all these things being tied up, you know, together. Did you think that was the right move to include that in the title sequence? No, that was the point where I first started to get worried. Mm, there are okay. too many people that either need to be tied off mm. or that I thought we were done with. Like, why right. am I looking at the sheaf? <laughs> now, maybe this was to say that they were all part of Spectre. Mm-hmm. Yeah, okay. we'll get in, we're going to get into that. Yeah. Uh-huh. Okay. Okay. But, I saw the other three movies. <laughs> I don't need to be, you know what I mean? I don't need to be reintroduced. Because, see, uh, I don't remember seeing Green. Yeah, he was in the in the film. Was later he, the, he, gets, he gets referenced, but I don't think, yeah, in the title sequence, they didn't show his image, no. Yeah. So, mm. I just didn't, I, I, I braced myself for some problems. Mm. Okay. So let's, that's a good segue into the rated Bond section, though. So rated Bond, we're going to discuss how we feel about, you know, Bond himself, how he um, performed within this movie, 
um, everything from his clothing to his attitude, Mm -hmm. um, the decisions he made, um, everything, action, all that. So how did you how did you feel this? And we've already talked about this was a slightly different bond than we've seen in the other the previous three films, Craig films. So how did you feel? What's your rating on Bond? How did you feel he did in this movie? Um, I, I, I liked Craig a little bit more than I liked him in, in Skyfall. Mm-hmm. Um, but you, you know, we still had the Tom Ford tight suits, although he did a lot less running in those suits <laughs> in this mm-hmm. film. I think they got tighter in this, uh, this, this movie. Cause that, that rooftop sequence in the pre-titles when he was walking across that ledge, Mm-hmm. I was just like certain there was going to be a rip. You know, it was just like his, <laughs> that joint, uh-huh. that one button was holding on. And he's not a big, he's, you know, he's a very, he's a very, um, he has fit. He's, he's in good shape. He's in very yeah. good shape. Yeah. Um, but he's not like Dave Batista, you know what I'm saying? He's not huge. He's mm-hmm. not a, a mm-hmm. huge guy, but those suits were just extra tight, man. I, and I think we're going to see that change in no time to die because the, the styles have changed since then. Um, but yeah, I think they got even tighter since Skyfall. Um, I do think that he was a little more um, considered at how his actions affected his environment. Mm-hmm. Um, but I did not, and I can't really blame Craig, but you know, I did not uh, like the this continuation of Money Penny as his so-called not really because we didn't directly see it side piece. <laughs> so I liked everything up to the point where she leaves his apartment and he's mm-hmm. in a bathrobe now. Okay. I'm glad you said that. I'm glad you said that. This is why really quickly, this is why I'm glad you said that for years since I've seen this film, I wondered, wait a minute, are we supposed to believe that they just, you know, handle business real quick, you know, right before she, mm-hmm. you know, right after she, he went through the box or whatever, right before he goes through the box, are we to presume that he, you know, sweet talked her into, you know, staying for a while? Because when she comes in, she's like, I'm not staying. Right. Because um, the offers are drink. So are we to presume that she changed her mind and then something happened? When I rewatched this for the first time, I noticed as he's looking out the window at her, mm-hmm. he still has his he still has his shirt on and you can still see the strap, his shoulder holster. You still see his shoulder holster on. So he changed into the bathrobe much later. So Okay. So it's okay. Yeah, nothing I missed happened. The- I missed the shirt because I focused. Nothing. I well, remember we vividly, happened, but he didn't take his clothes off because <laughs> I was vividly remember watching her as she was walking away mm-hmm. to yeah. see if there was any change and just in anything. <laughs> see if she's walking funny. <laughs> I'm just saying money pain needs to be whether all right. She was, whether she was glowing. <laughs> right. So, no, but you if you look, you can see he still has his. uh you know, the same clothes on. Um, he changed into a bathrobe later. So I'm glad you said that, though. And also notable, um, Arthur, that's the first time we see Bond's crib since yeah. Live and Let Die. Oh, wow. And obviously, the second time was Live and Let Die. Fourth time was, uh, third time was Spectre. Do you remember the first time we ever saw James Bond's crib? No. Dr. No. It was in Dr. No. Um, it's that scene where he thinks somebody's broken into his crib and he ro- he rolls up to, to his flat, opens the door and uh, Sylvia Trench is in there playing, you know, putting around with the uh, the golf with the golf. Club. Oh, right. That's it looks it kind of looks like a hotel room. But no, that's his. Yeah, that's his that's his that's his place. That's his okay. flat. 
right. um so yeah it was interesting though because you see bonds flat in specter and he's like clearly it looks like he just moved in there there's boxes mm-hmm. the art is on the floor leaned up against the wall and everything yeah right um and I felt as I was watching, it was funny because I was like, damn. And I looked around the room that I was in presently when I was watching it. Mm-hmm. And I saw, I may have saw a box. I may have saw a picture against the wall. <laughs> uh-huh. I'm not confirming or denying that, but it was yeah. actually a very interesting thing to see that um, on the screen as I was in that environment, kind of in a similar environment. But anyway, Money Penny, Money Penny makes the, <laughs> the comments. She's like, did you just move in here? Mm-hmm. And he's like, <laughs> no. <laughs> he's like, Why would you say that? That was a funny moment. And you know what? The chemistry between them, between Naomi Harris and Daniel Craig is excellent. Yeah, that's why. Really yeah. messed up, man. Not If you look at Skyfall, those were some of the best scenes. And Skyfall was one between him and her uh, at the new uh, MI6 headquarters. Mm-hmm. When, you know, she says, you when know, he first I, comes I back. apologize for shooting you, you know, whatever. And then again, when she's shaving him um and uh uh when he's at that when he he's at mm-hmm. that casino about to go to casino mm-hmm. and she meets him at the hotel room and she's shaving him they're by play you know the chemistry between them is excellent man and it's a shame that the filmmakers weren't you know didn't recognize that or weren't quote unquote brave enough you know saying to do something with that um because even inspector that little moments that they had the little few moments that they had inspector were very good so what so, else? I'm sorry. What else do you think about uh, Bond in this movie? What else are your your thoughts on him in this film? I I always like Bond's wardrobe, but I really like his winter gear, and the winter gear <laughs> in this film is just just fantastic. Mm-hmm. I was watching with my uh, daughter, and she 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 says, "How does he?" Because he's going to all these different locations, right? <laughs> right. How does he know? You know, he one needs? minute, one day he's in Rome. <laughs> the next day, you know, he's somewhere in Austria. You know, right. how many suitcases does this dude got? And she's, like, and she's like, "Where does he? Where does he get all? You know what I mean? It's like, where does he get all this stuff? Like, <laughs> mm-hmm. what's up? You know?" And so I'm kind of breaking down, you know, the concept of safe turned, house just, and. I'm about to say you. Just, I thought you just looked at her and said, "He's James Bond." <laughs> That's just you got to accept it. You got to accept it. Yeah, I try to. I try to bring some reality base into mm-hmm. it so that, you know, you can see how these things, you know, are mm-hmm. reasonably that's good, plausible. That's actually a good explanation, though. Like, he has safe houses in different parts of the world, or MI6 maybe does. Actually, they do. They have stations, you know, so mm-hmm. they have, you know, they go so major cities, and he rolls up, and it's like he calls somebody, a contact at that station, like, listen, I need X, yeah. Y, and Z, you know. Yeah, I'm going to be here, and so he's he's always going to be prepared for the environment. And if you think about it, you 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 really would want that because you don't want your agent to be in the you know the tropics one day and in the Arctic <laughs> zone the next day, and he mm-hmm. can't do his job because he's either you know really cold, really hot, or really sick. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would say that's how you catch cold. <laughs> um, but that was another problem that I had. Um, give me one of your thoughts; it'll come to me. Uh, I mean, so overall, I think for me, this James Bond, I'm a little conflicted over. And I I hinted at it before. And that's because, again, I feel like a lot of weight was put on Daniel Craig in this movie, too. Because, you know, the the kind of the um, word on the street, you know, prior to this film was that, oh, Craig can't handle the comedy. 
Craig mm-hmm. can't pull off the one-liners, you know, mm-hmm. very similar to what they said about Dan or about um, um, Timothy Dalton, you know, back in the day. So I felt that if you look at Casino Royale, even Quantum, but especially Skyfall, there are humorous moments. You know, I love in Casino Royale um, when he says, uh, you know, she asks him after he, he damn near dies um, uh, after getting poisoned. And uh, he goes back to the table and he says, you know, that last I think he says that last hand almost killed me or something like mm-hmm. that. The mm-hmm. way he delivers it is just mm-hmm. so it's so Daniel Craig, but it's also yeah. so Bond. You know, it was, yeah. it was like, OK, yeah. that's that's his way of delivering that line. Now, Pierce Brosnan would have delivered it differently. Right. Um, Roger Moore to deliver differently. Timothy right. Dalton, right. George Lazenby, you know, definitely Sean Connery. They've all delivered that line differently. But yeah. he did it the way he wanted to do it. And he found his groove. Mm-hmm. And Skyfall, if you look at the scene between him and Q, you know, when he first meets Q, you know, um, mm-hmm. you know, you In the art spots. Or um, the museum. You know, mm-hmm. Yeah, the museum. And, you know, that, that whole exchange. His exchanges with M in Skyfall. You know, uh, you know, when she says, you know, um, I, I, I fucked this up and he's like, you did your job. And she's like, you know, did you see my whatever, you know, uh, what I wrote about you? What do you call it? Obituary. Obituary. Yeah. Um, and he kind of compliments her on the fact that she called him, you know, a, a model of British fortitude, whatever. He has a very dry wit, you know, and I think that that suits Daniel Craig's bond very well. But then when we get to this film, I could feel the pressure on him. Okay, now you have to smile and smirk. Mm -hmm. Um, You have to walk with a certain type of pep, you know, a little swagger, whatever you want Mm -hmm. to call it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It just felt like it it felt like throughout the film, he was being forced to be a bond, a different type of bond. And I think that was not a good move. Now, a lot of people, especially like Dara Bond fans, they really enjoyed those those aspects. You know, they liked the fact that he was you know, back to delivering the one-liners and, you know, kind of smirking his way through the entire film. Um, yeah. And I think that to me, and maybe, and I think, I think I speak for the broader audience, you know, the mainstream audience outside of just, you know, us, us Bond fans, it didn't really come off as, you know, it, it came off a little bit forced. It came off a little bit like, again daniel craig not really being you know the bond that he actually is mm-hmm. um and some of now now to be fair though some of the some of the lines definitely landed like i said in the beginning of the film when he says you know i won't be long that landed very well um when he's about to you know assassinate ciara and you know they're having a toast and he says bottoms up you know i thought that was that was a great moment um when he you know tells after he saves lucia lucia ciara's life and she says, you're just buying, you know, time. There'll be another one, you know, in five minutes or whatever. Somebody else will be trying to kill me in five minutes. And he mm-hmm. says, excellent. You know, time for just enough time for us to have a drink. I was like, mm-hmm. oh, that's mm-hmm. that was dope. Mm-hmm. You know, I was like, mm-hmm. that's like mm-hmm. classic Bond, you know, stuff. But it was he delivered it in a way that was very Daniel Craig. Yeah. Um, but overall, I just I just felt like there was something off tonally in this film for James Bond. Um yeah, so that that's kind of where I come in. Now, as far as his sartorially, I think that he looked great. He was in great shape in this movie, almost as good. The best shape he's ever been in, I think, was in uh, Quantum of Solace. Um, but he was in great shape in this film, and um, a lot of the clothing choices I thought were excellent, even though, the, the, like we said, the suits were a little bit too tight at times. Um, but I, And I dug, you know, seeing him walking around, like, in his flat with, you know, the whole shoulder holster on, 
um, was reminiscent of some of the Connery stuff. So, I mean, he looked, he looked great throughout the film. I think that some of his decision-making, um, you know, we'll get a little bit more into that. I'm gonna let you make your point, but we'll get a little bit more into that. But I did have problems with, I guess, and, and again, it's, it's more of a script thing, but I did have problems with some of his thinking in this film and this movie and some of the decisions he made. He didn't, mm. he didn't appear to me to be particularly smart in this film. Mm-hmm. Um, hmm. Okay. You know, in terms of like, he wasn't the spy detective that, you know, Bond has been in other films. Um, yeah, I think that I think that a Casino Royale Bond would have spotted that um, Swan was being abducted when he was like in the bar. Yeah, and and, and had reasonable line of sight even from hold a on, periphery. Hold on, Arthur. Hold on. How about this? Why he goes to he goes to Mister White's um, cabin or whatever? He looks up and notices there's a camera there, right? Yeah. He finds Mr. White downstairs and the whole everything's being recorded. He sees all of this. Why did he not retrieve that tape? You know what I'm saying? <laughs> That's how Hinks and everybody found Madeline Swan because Hinks goes there afterwards and looks up and sees the same recorder and is like, yeah. oh, there's probably a in tape. In the of in, all in this. the camera that's still enabled. <laughs> what? And that's why I'm like, cause to your point, Casino Royale Bond. Remember in Casino Royale, that's how Bond actually found uh, the guy at the beginning of the film. He went, Bond went to the um, surveillance room and found the tape, you know, Mm -hmm. to find, to line it up with that ellipsis text. Mm -hmm. So yeah, Bond, that just, that struck me as really, as kind of like almost lazy writing. Cause it was like, why would he not disable that camera, you know, or find, just get that tape or whatever. Um, that didn't make sense. So yeah, I'm sorry. I interrupted you. That, that went along. No, but yeah, I interrupted you with that, but yeah, it's, it's, and I mean, the, the I remember the, <laughs> I remember some more problems, but oh, they tie into his relationship with both the women and the villain. Okay. So if you want to move on into that, yeah, section, we can we can get to that because I think there are a lot of you. other things that are going to be revealed about Bond himself are going to come out through yeah his interaction with the the the, the women and the villain the Bond women and the Bond villain. So yeah, let's let's move into women versus villain, which is the section where we do what Arthur. Well, this is the section where we discuss how we rate the Bond women and villains in this film and discuss what we like best and uh, uh, like almost like who wins, team women or team villain. Right. Okay. So let's, yeah, let's jump into that. Okay. You want to start with the women? You want to start with the villains? Um, let's start. There's more. There's more villains. There's a lot of villains. Yeah. Presumably. There's only two women, I think, really. And that's I mean, we, we mentioned Australia, Australia, uh, excuse me, Australia at the beginning of the film, but she's only in it for like literally, you know, I don't know, maybe three minutes. Um, but Lucia, Ciara and Madeline Swan. Um, yep. So how did you feel about them? Um, Monica Bellucci, by the way, who um, played Lucia Ciara, she auditioned for the role of um, uh, Paris Carver in um, Tomorrow Never Dies. Oh, yeah, she the, okay. the part that um, uh, Terry Hatcher was eventually cast. I think, I think at the time did they feel that Monica Bellucci was a little too old for the role? I can't remember. Um, but yeah, she she auditioned for that, so it was good to see. You know, she came back, um, was brought back into it for this film. So I'm sorry. What, so what did you think about her and uh, Madeline Swan? Well, I thought I thought Bond's relationship with you know with both of them were just just really weird relationships. Um, 
I like Monica Bellucci uh, in this film. She 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 carries she carries herself really well thematically for uh, a Bond film. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, at just at the the pinnacle of you know sophistication. Um, but you you kind of get the sense that under the veneer is a broken person. Mm, mm, yeah, very much so. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, Bond kind of goes into creep mode with her in the same kind of way <laughs> that he did with, uh, um, was it Seravine? Who Who was it in Quantum where he just like steps in the shower? That well, that was yeah, that was in Skyfall with Severine. Yeah, that was in Skyfall. Severine on the yeah, boat. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah um, yeah. I so I I just kind of thought that was kind of creepy, mm-hmm. and uh, I don't think that. In other words, he didn't have to. He didn't have to do that to get that information out of her. Oh, uh-huh. yeah. So he didn't have to have a relationship <laughs> with yeah. Lucia to to be able to get this kind of information. So we're uh, you know, it a relationship. <laughs> scenario. Let's call it. Let, let, you know. Let's call it episode. A scenario. Like we call it back in the day, an episode. Yeah. Yeah. Because um, going, you like going back to Casino Royale. Um, what was her name? Uh, you talking about? Okay, so there was going back to Casino Royale. She was. She was later killed. He was in the Bahamas. Um, not. It wasn't Camilla. Um. Oh God, you caught me off guard. Yeah, I know you're talking about though. She got killed. Yeah, she was bad. Another another henchman's wife. Yeah. Right. Another henchman's wife, and um, they. It's like they they were gonna have a, a so-called intimate scenario, but they didn't have to because she gave up the goods before he even needed to do anything about it. I mean, yeah, dude he, never even he, took off his belt, much out. less his yeah, shirt he and her stuff. You know what I'm saying? So, Solange, that was her name. Solange, Solange, Solange. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it just, it just didn't. It seemed gratuitous. Yeah, yeah. It was gratuitous. It was creepy, and it was just weird. It was just really weird, bro. Yeah. It was like again. You know what? There's a word. As I was taking notes um, while I was watching this film for this, you know, getting prepared for this this episode. There's a word I wrote down and I didn't realize I'd written it twice until I'd written a third. I'd written it a third time and then I went back and like highlighted it. I'd written it three mm-hmm. times throughout my notes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that's anachronistic. This mm-hmm. film felt there was several elements that really felt anachronistic. It felt like they took stuff from like 1960s like that. The scene between him and um, uh, Lucia Sciarra would have been would have fit right into uh, Goldfinger. You know what I'm saying? It was mm-hmm, it would have mm-hmm, fit perfectly mm-hmm. in a gold finger, mm-hmm. you know, which came out of what 1963 or whatever. I can't remember what year, but before either you or I were here on Earth, you know. And that's the sense that I got when I was watching this movie. I was like, why are they trying so hard to fit these Bond tropes in here and not even acknowledging the fact that that shit does not fly anymore? It's yeah. like that. He's pouring her a drink. Okay, first of all, let me back up a little bit. I did like the scene where he saved her life. You know, when yeah. when she walks in, puts on the Italian music, mm-hmm. she's realizing she's going to die. She's consigned herself to that fate. Mm-hmm. She's walking through the crib. She knows that the Spectre, you know, henchmen are going to kill her. Mm-hmm. And they just, they raise their guns. You hear the, you know, the quick of a, of a suppressor on a gun. You know that mm-hmm. then they kind of the camera pans and you mm-hmm. see Bond standing there where you hadn't seen him before. Very nice. Very well done. But then a minute later, 
And he, he did, you know, he does give her the great line about, you know, excellent time enough, time long, long enough time for a drink or whatever. And as they're having this drink, first of all, she's scared to death still. You know, yeah. she's she's mm-hmm. she's like, you know, she's almost shaking. You know, she's mm-hmm. so scared. Mm-hmm. Um, and she I don't even think she they even she's even asked him his name at this point. Um, that comes like a minute later. Um, so here's this man that's in her house. Granted, he just saved her life, but she has no idea who he is. He's just yeah. another you know thug or whatever to her. Mm-hmm. Um, pours her a drink and then he says something to her and when she kind of is like is still being you know like no you know not giving him the information he wants he has both of those champagne flutes in his hands and he just throws them down on the gra- ground they just you know mm-hmm. and then he just like he's walking towards her and she's backing up mm-hmm. and he like gets her against the the mirror now I think okay let me I always say this let me devil's advocate for a second I think what we're supposed to get out of this Arthur is that We've all seen films. Um, I was about to say something, but I was going. I'm not going to say that. That's too much. <laughs> about to get too much information. But we've all seen films. Let's keep it in the film role, the realm. Mm-hmm. We've all seen films where two people are so attracted to each other and how they have a history together. Yeah. Um, and a relationship, to use the yeah. word that you use, or an actual relationship. Yeah. Um, and a connection or whatever, a sexual energy between them that that kind of moment happens where, you know, you're just like talking very intensely and, you know, somebody backs up against the wall and the other person is pressing against them and they're kind of, mm-hmm. they're, there's a mutual thing there. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. We, mm-hmm. That's, that happens in film. We've seen that. Mm-hmm. I think the filmmakers were trying to get that across, but somehow or some, and I don't know how this happened. They left out the whole part about, the relationship and the mutual attraction and all these other things that was just gone. It yeah, was just it's like, like we're it's like they're it's on this gone. really tight timetable where they got to get all this in. And and let me just jump into Madeline Swan for a minute. You know, the climax of the film when the villain is about to basically erase Bond's memory entirely. You know, mm-hmm. Swan. Madeline comes up to him and she says, I love you. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, after two days, after <laughs> after two days, when you don't even trust dude on day one at all. Right. right. Yeah. It, again, we've gotten all the way there. Right. Again, anachronistic. It reminded me of in Goldfinger when Bond meets um, the, the, the young lady who eventually gets painted in gold. Um on the on the balcony and within minutes like literally minutes maybe maybe two maybe two minutes maybe three max Mm -hmm. um he's tonguing her down like right there on the on the balcony you know yeah um and she's you head over heels you know for this guy and and just basically about to lose her job whatever you know yeah that was 1960 something this is 2015 it's like you this this ain't it didn't make any sense to me it was really it was almost you know what arthur it was actually silly it was. I remember being in theater, theater, thinking this is kind of silly, mm-hmm. you know. Um, even though I think Monica Bellucci looked fantastic, um, you know, I could see why he would want to spend some time with her. But the way it happened is just like, yeah, y'all, this is lazy writing. Um, and so he does, you know, he he does the, the the classic Bond James Bond line, which was actually I think the way he delivered it was really cool. But just the whole, you know, the 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 chemistry between them just seemed very forced um Mm -hmm. yeah it just it didn't work for me it didn't work so yeah but her her character though as a whole i did like her character i did like the fact that they cast someone age appropriate um 
for yeah. Cray. I think she was even a little older than him at that time, um, but still age appropriate um, for him. And I think that uh, I, I shouldn't use that term. I shouldn't say age appropriate. Closer to his age, you know, she wasn't a, she wasn't a child. You know, she was definitely closer to his age. And they rarely do that, you know, and not just in Bond films, but films. Period. Um, so that was interesting to see. Uh, and like I said, she looked fantastic. She had the she definitely had the the widow at the I, I liked her at the funeral when you know she first sees him mm-hmm. um and she's like you know you knew my husband and you know she had that energy about her that was like you again you like you said you got that mournful quality from her but it wasn't necessarily that she was mourning her husband it was she was you realize okay you realize a little bit later she was really mourning the life that she just lost you know because she knew Mm-hmm. That Spectre, you know, now that he, her husband is gone, they're going to think that she can't keep secrets. They're going to take her out. You know, they're mm-hmm. going to kill her. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's what she was mourning. So, yeah, I thought she was really good, man. I, I wish I actually wish she would have been in the movie more because um, mm-hmm. we don't get her. But for like, what, three scenes, um, one of them being the really short f- funeral scene. And she is one of the few Bond women who doesn't die, though. You know, this one of the few first Bond woman. There's always the, the first Bond woman in the film, usually the first or the second one always gets killed. You yeah. know what I'm saying? Always. Yeah. So she's one of the few first or second Bond women in the film that lives. Um, and But granted, we don't get to see her. <laughs> we never get to see her again. Mm-hmm. So what did you think about Madeline Swan? Um, I admit, I thought she, I thought she was okay. Mm. That's tied to me just having to accept that Mr. White, who otherwise didn't care for Bond at all, would trust him to look after her. Mm-hmm. I didn't really believe that. Mm-hmm. Um, I kind of like that part only because what I took from that was that white felt in the end like okay the only person that i can you know send to protect her is somebody like me you know mm-hmm, there was mm-hmm. there was a little bit of kinship between him and bond um because he even says to him our game is our game something you know? like an assassin's creed or an understanding exactly. or yeah, you don't understand the only we the only way that you could understand me is because you are me in that sort of way right and you mm-hmm. know if they, they should have actually expanded upon that and made it more clear that you know there was a code so if you if I'm gonna give mm-hmm. you this thing, then you got to go do this thing for me. And you mm-hmm. almost like mm-hmm. like a Mandalorian code, you know, like mm-hmm. you have to uh, you have to stick Some, to this is code, the way you know? type stuff. Right. This is the way, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> Mr. White just said mm-hmm. that, like, this is the way, <laughs> you know, <laughs> our game is our game. You right. know, kite in a hurricane, Mr. Bond. Right. This is the way. I have <laughs> spoken, then shot himself as opposed to so <laughs> <Right>? long. <laughs> hey, what greater line to go out on? I have spoken. <laughs> but um, yeah, so I, I, that's what I took from it that there was some sort of kinship, you know, uh, between you know him and him and Bond in that moment. Yeah, but um, she completely killed it for me with the whole "I love you" after like a day and a half, <laughs> and um. I did like that she could, I did like that she could take care of herself. I did like mm-hmm. that um, she countered Bond kind of mansplaining basic self-defense with her, <laughs> right. you know, and she was able to completely, you know, uh, you know, properly disassemble a, you know, disassemble a handgun. Um, she knew how to shoot, you know, she mm-hmm. helped him with uh, 
Mr. Hanks on the train. Um, and even, 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 even that passionate exchange that happened after they basically saved each other's life against Mr. Hanks. And we'll talk about Mr. Hanks in just a moment. You know, that, that, that was plausible. Mm-hmm. That, you know, that, that, <laughs> right. that, that, that was, that was plausible. Right. <laughs> right. I mean, okay. Okay. Right. Okay. Right. Yeah. Um, um, but then, you know, toward the end, mm. she, I don't remember her actually doing any fighting at the end of it. No. It's like, it's like no. she went from, you know, I'm really a low key badass Mm-hmm. to I'm a damsel in distress and this man has to save me. I can't assist. Right. It just Which seemed kind of inconsistent. Yeah, it's happened before in the franchise. Remember uh your one of your favorite films, Spy Who Loved Me. Um what was her name? Triple X. Was that her name? Yeah. Um remember she was a, she was like on point. She was she was actually better than Bond, you know, at a few things earlier in the film. Excuse me, I think she gets tied up, you know, at on Drax's crib, you know, on Drax's uh, you know, base or whatever at the end mm-hmm. of that movie. So that that seems to be something that happened again, another trope they brought back, you know, where she's kidnapped, you know, uh tied up and he Anya. has to save her. What was it? Who? Yeah, Anya, Anya, she's a KGB Anya, yeah, agent. Yeah, yeah, Anya. Yeah, yeah, she's yeah, a Anya, damn agent. Yeah. Right. <laughs> right, right. So okay, so overall though, you liked Monica better than you liked um Madeline Swan, I'm guessing. Y- yeah yeah okay yeah and i'm with you i'm with you i would wish we'd have seen much more of her Mm -hmm. you know i because um madeline swan the the fan community has mixed opinions on her as well and i think that there are moments especially in her first you know several minutes you know her first few scenes um where she really doesn't emote any type of emotion any type of um any type of personality really she's really kind of like bland you know um when he first meets her i think really she opens up um not that alcohol has anything to do with it but she really opens up when she gets drunk at that hotel and she's basically like mm-hmm. you know um liars and killers you know and you know mm-hmm. she's basically mm-hmm. equating him to her father and why am i even here and you know you better stay away from me or i'll kill you you know she becomes interesting then because she starts kind of like really expressing giving us a hint you know, or some signs as to her background and what the conflict is between her and her father. Yeah. Um, which I thought was interesting. And then it, it starts, that's a little bit more of that comes out later. Um, and I, I like, for instance, I thought it was interesting when they discover that secret room at the, at the L'American and, you know, she sees the pictures on the wall of herself, you know, as a child. That was realizes, a good scene. I did like that. Yeah. Right. When she realizes her father had, you know, kept these pictures and was, you know, um, lamenting the fact or whatever that they did of their relationship. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. All that was really good. Um, and I like the fact that she pressed Bond a little bit. You know, why do you why did you choose this life? You know, and Bond is like, well, I never felt like I had any choice. And she's like, everybody has a choice. You know, and it's, mm-hmm. she's basically like grilling him and making him. She's like, well, what do you think would happen if you stopped? You know, and I, I liked all that. Um, so I, I don't know, man. I think that my I think I like her more than the average. You know, I guess I'm, I'm, I swing a little bit differently in this um, this regard. My opinion of her is a little bit higher than I've seen, you know, other people's opinions be mm-hmm. of her. Um, I like the actress, too. Um, I like Leah to do. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, you know, and she's coming back in no time to die. I don't think she's going to have it. You know, I don't think she's going to be 
as have as prominent a role in that film as she's she has in a uh, specter it's at least in terms of screen time um but in this movie my any disappointment i had with her was not necessarily with her it was more so with the script you know more yeah, so okay. with you know mm-hmm. what she was given to work with like you said the fact that she was this person at one point that she becomes this damsel in distress which was kind of weird mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know the whole actually you know what they didn't have they they, they kind of really didn't give a good enough reason for her even to accompany bond because at first she's like kicking him out of the office you don't leave i'm calling security and then after the kidnapping, you know, and they discover where um, Blofeld is or whatever his name was at that point, where Spectre is, um, she's like, I'm going with you. And he's like, no, you, you're not going. She's like, well, I need to know what happened. You know what? What? I need to know more about this organization so I can understand my father better. And I was like, ah, I could I just tell that. I could just tell you about that after I'm done. Yeah, when I come back, I'll tell you about that. You know what I'm mm-hmm. saying? We're gonna write a report anyway. It's MI6. I I gotta write a report and give it to M, so I I'll send you a copy as well. Mm-hmm. They could you know, I I just feel like they should have they should have come up with a better reason or put her in a, a position where she had to accompany him. Um so yeah, I feel like she I feel like her character was given a little bit of short thrift shrift on their thrift or whatever the, the phrase is mm-hmm. um for this for this role see i worry um, that that she needed to go with him in order for her to take bond's watch that he had activated <laughs> and turn into a bomb right, it's right. like they needed to be able to get to climax to seeming mm-hmm. resolution and f- and for the record, I'm with you. I do think that whole the I love you thing. I remember being in the theater again. I keep saying that, but I remember being in the theater and being like, like almost laughing when she said that because I'm like, she just met him, and it's like mm-hmm. it's not. Mm-hmm. They yeah, they went through a traumatic experience together. Um, they had what we can presume was some very passionate post traumatic experience sex. Yeah, but that was like real quick. You know, I love you. Mm-hmm. It was a real quick. I love you. And I didn't buy it. I trust you would have been much more appropriate. I trust you. Yeah. Something. I mean, yeah, something, something other than. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Something in that realm. Like you're not like, you know, again, like she, she was equating like the him to her father, or, you know, so it's uh, like, okay, so I've discovered in the last few days that you're not like him. I would have bought that, mm-hmm. you know, but the whole, I love you thing. So, yeah. Okay. So let's move on to the villains so we can pit these against each other. What did you think about? There was a lot of them in here. Um, what did you think about? Um, let's start with. Let's start with the, the, the hidden, the quote unquote hidden villain at first. What did you think about C, uh, Max Denby, the chief of security? I like C. chief of security. I like C, okay. played by Andrew Scott. Um, but I also like C because it was Andrew Scott, because I liked him as Moriarty in uh, the BBC Sherlock. Mm. Mm. So yeah. C, whose character is, um, he's called C, but uh, Max Denberg is uh, the character's name Denby Den- Digby. Denby, Denby oh yeah forgive me Denby one of those you know he is going to lead this new uh joint uh surveillance you know global task force that is mm-hmm. going to supplant any lobbies to supplant the double O program as you know carrying on the antiquated the double O program is antiquated and it's a dinosaur right. uh that narrative that we saw um in Skyfall um, but he's really a, an agent of Spectre. Mm. I think he did it very well. I don't think that it was uh, cliche the way that he played that role. Mm. The only thing I didn't like is I kind of didn't like the way that, I didn't like the way that he died. 
I kind of thought, <laughs> yeah, he was like, oh, 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 I'm losing my balance, you know. Yeah, he, lost, he lost his balance. It's right. like this is the this is the at least the third time that I can remember. The second in a Bond film, in a in a Daniel Craig Bond film, you know, mm. where the where the villain dies because he lost his balance and <laughs> fell off the side of a building. Right. Um, you know, the reason you like him is one. I, I don't dislike him. I'm kind of agnostic on him. I could care less about this character. Um, I actually don't even think. I get why his his role, why he was, you know, why he was there, mm-hmm. but he really, and he got several scenes, you know, especially like several scenes between him and him, you know. Yeah. Um, but I by the second or third scene, I was just sick of seeing him. But I didn't, you know, I could I can you know do with with or without him. But one thing that was distracting for me is that I'm a big Sherlock fan, so as soon as he showed up, I was just like Moriarty. Like I couldn't see past Moriarty. Like that's all I saw. Uh-huh. It's like it's uh-huh. Moriarty. Like he's the big bad. Uh-huh. Like why yeah. is Blofeld even in this movie? You got Moriarty. <laughs> it's like if anybody's gonna take down Bond, it's gonna be that dude right there. <laughs> yeah. Because I was about so, to say when we get into when we get into Blofeld, to me, that's who should have been Blofeld. Right. I'm like, is, but he's if, too young. They but call him C. I'm like, at what point are they gonna find out that he's Moriarty? You know. That's, <laughs> That's what uh-huh. I was on, so it was hard for me to see past that. Um, uh-huh. So, but yeah, I, I was kind of, you know, like I said, I was kind of whatever on him. So, what about before we get to Blofeld? Let's do two more. What about um, Hanks? Now, Hanks was a henchman; he wasn't really the yeah. villain. He was a henchman. But what do you think about Hanks? I, I really liked Hanks. Okay, I liked yeah. Hanks. Um, Dave Batista has style, man. Yeah, he, when he comes in that boardroom. Yeah, he has that sweat. It's a real natural type of energy he has. It's like. He he could be Bond if he wasn't so big. This, <laughs> this man, like, <laughs> he's too big to be Bond. It's like you see uh-huh. him coming a mile away. It's like he can never spy on anybody. But he 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 just he has a very natural, suave energy to him. Yeah, um, and that same kind of sophistication that you need uh, in a film in a film like this. Interesting that he he does not utter a word in this film. He utters one word. Really. Right at the end, right before he Oh! Dies. <laughs> it's the only word he utters. He shouldn't, which yeah. I, I, I kind of was like, they could have came up with a better word from him. Yeah. Utter, but it was like, yeah, whatever. Yeah. Um, but um, yeah, and that's that's kind of the Jaws thing. You know, that goes back to Jaws. He Jaws reminds me thing. He reminds me of Jaws. And that's the, that was the, that's the only downside. I needed him to have some kind of, you know, super weapon. Like how Jaws had those teeth. Mm-hmm. He, had need, the, he had the he had the metal thumbnails and they never brought them back. Remember, they the never. Boredom, the, yeah, the yeah, 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 yeah. Like, they were really underutilized. Like Ajab's hat. Now Ajab was a great villain because he used all his, you know, used everything. Never said a word. Yeah. But yeah, I liked Hinks, and um, it was a little cliche, but I did like the car chase. Mm-hmm. Okay. I liked Hinks. I actually think Hinks was wasted. I, th- I think meaning when I say that, I mean they should have done more with him in this film. Mm-hmm. Um, because I really like I said I, when he walked in that boardroom, just the energy about him, I was like, okay, I like this dude, you know. And he kind of like stood there for a second, um, kind of like real cool. Mm-hmm. Guy looks up at him. As soon as guy turns away, he's slamming dude's head into the table. I'm like, oh shit. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. that whole scene though, you know, the boardroom scene was weird to me. Again, anachronistic. I hate to keep using that term, but that's what it was. It felt to me like you know that would have worked very well in the 60s or 70s. The last, cause the last yeah. Spectre boardroom we got was in Thunderball. Remember when the guy gets electrocuted in the chair next to uh, to uh, uh, my man because he stole from the organization or whatever? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So it was like that type of stuff worked in the 60s, but it's like 
why are y'all having this meeting? First of all, all of y'all are in one place. That's a no-no. You know what I'm saying? If you're a secret organization, <laughs> all of y'all are in one place. Uh-huh. So if they roll up on you. If, if MI6 yeah. or whoever just rolls up on you, the French authorities, the, I mean, the, the Italian authorities, anybody rolls up, they got all of y'all in mm-hmm. one place, mm-hmm. you know? And then second of all, you're murdering somebody right in front of all these witnesses. I just, it just felt very like, again, out of place to me and very kind of like cliche, you know, it, it just, it didn't feel right. Yeah, I think that the 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 overt viciousness of of uh, Hanks basically ramming dude's eyeballs to the back of his mind was mm. gratuitous. The point was made when he slammed his head against the table. <laughs> that was all he needs to do. That's all. Like, to me, I'm that was much more. Yeah. That was more like, whoa, okay, yeah. this dude is. Yeah, and and then I did like though how he again Dave Batista. This is this is why I like him in that role. After he murders this dude, he calmly takes out, you know, his handkerchief to wipe his hands. Then he like kind of like moves dude's body out the way so he can take his seat. And he kind of moves the chair over a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> uh-huh. That was kind of dope. But yeah, so I liked Hinks. I love the train fight. I thought the train fight was mm-hmm. one of the, you know, it would, it definitely was a, a callback to the um, from Worship with Love, you know, train fight with uh, Red Grant. And, and the and train Bond. fight and the train fight from uh, Spy Who Loved Me. Okay, okay. That was also yeah, a trained fight. But it was just the viciousness of it was like, yeah, this is, you know, I guess when Bond's on a train, you know, shit just goes down. But the viciousness of it brought me back to From Rush With Love. And it was good to see, you know, Bond, I mean, Bond got his ass kicked. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? He, to the point where if you go back and watch when Madeline shoots Hanks in the arm and he drops Bond, yeah, Bond doesn't like even stagger for a second. Bond goes straight down. He goes, it looked yeah. like and if you you know if you, if you can recall like in boxing matches when that knockout blow happens when a person gets hit like that they don't like it's not like usually you see in the movies where they kind of like brace themselves and fall down or whatever mm-hmm. no they go straight down because it's immediate unconsciousness mm-hmm. and that's what happened to Bond it's like for a moment he just lost consciousness and went straight down mm-hmm. um, and then he kind of was woozy for a second but yeah I, I thought the train fight was excellent um, I just think that they could have done more with Hanks I wish he would have lived um, but I think they should have done more with him. And there was, there was just parts that didn't make sense. Why was he trying to kill Bond? It seemed like Blofeld wanted Bond alive so he could be the one to torture Bond or kill him or whatever. So why was why was Hinks, you know, trying to kill this dude? What was the what was the plan? You know, why I did mean, he he kidnapped Homegirl, took her back, you know, and then I don't know. It was just kind of weird. But yeah, so overall, though, I like like Hinks. How did you feel about? Okay, before we get to Blofeld, one more. How did you feel about Mister White, the return of Mister White? Um. Uh, I oh liked it. no! Don't don't yeah. hold on. We about to have deep. We about to have some serious deal. Some diametric opposition in a minute. Go ahead. Yeah i i liked I liked the bookend. Mm-hmm. I did like the bookend because you don't really know what happens to Mister White after Quantum. And um, I did like the conversation that they that they had. Mm. Um, I didn't you know what i didn't like is how uh, i didn't like him in the wheelchair was he in a wheelchair he wasn't in a wheelchair was he i thought he was in a wheelchair no because he came up all them steps i think he was just i think he was i know he was hooked up to an iv i think but i don't think he was in a wheelchair 
I have to go back and see because that, that kind of yeah. bothered me where it was like, because first of all, it's like I'm thinking like, well, how the hell did he get all up and down them steps? Does he have an elevator <laughs> in that place? It didn't make any well, he sense. Got all that, you know, he's Mr. White, man. You don't worry about those details. He can he got that handled. So, um, OK, but you OK, so that was that your only I mean, I'm kind of bottom rule. I'm just kind of I, I, I'm kind of lukewarm about it makes sense that it, it makes sense that Mr. White is introduced I like that he was the pale king mm. that was put out. He basically, you know, put out the pasture um, uh, because he disagreed with Blofeld in the direction that he was going in. Right. Um, that was dope. He said, you know, this is he said he said our game is our game. But this motherfucker is out here killing women and children yeah. <laughs> saying I'm not I'm not with that. You yeah, know, that was that was interesting. Yeah, even though even though he did let Vesper drown, but go ahead. <laughs> and it just seemed like a bit much that um, I can't. I don't know, Isaac. I just didn't feel. It just didn't feel right. And and maybe 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 it's because the film overall felt like it needed to check all these boxes. Mm. Mm. And maybe if maybe if some of the if some things were stripped away, you know, mm. that maybe we would have had more room for some actual story development. Mm-hmm. It would have yeah. been it, it would have been better. I I I in almost every scene of this movie, I felt that it was either too short or too long. Mm, that's good. That's a really good way to put it. That's really good. That's interesting. I you know I agree with you in the sense that I wanted more context, I guess, for Mister White. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'll say that I'm a Mister White stand. You know, that's my guy. You know, what I'm saying that's 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 my blow felt. You know yeah. what I'm saying, Mr. White. Mm-hmm. And I really think they I've said it before, I think they really missed the opportunity to um, you know, to make him a big the big bad, you know, for mm-hmm. for, for, for Daniel Craig's bond. Um I, I really think they should have, you know, pursued that a little bit more because I just like I like the actor that plays him. I just like I, I like everything about Mr. White Mr. White and I liked him in this this scene, um, again because he's you know, he's basically like showing Bond a mirror of himself. Like this mm-hmm. is what you could become, mm-hmm. you know? Um, and I like the fact that he's, you know, <laughs> he's almost pitying bond like bond. You don't know, you, you know what it was, Arthur. It was almost like Mr. White in that scene was in the movie that we wanted Spectre to be like, cause he mm-hmm. was like hinting mm-hmm. at the fact of, you know, you're, you're a kite, you know, dancing in a hurricane. Yes. Some good lines. Like, yeah. That was a good line. Oh, that was, that was the best line of the film, but he's saying to him, this whole Spectre thing is so much bigger than you even know about. You thought mm-hmm. Quantum was some shit? I'm like, no, mm-hmm. no, no, no. Mm-hmm. Quantum was just like the junior agency. Mm-hmm. This thing that you're dealing with, you have no idea. And that's why you're just in this hurricane and you're just getting tossed around and you don't even know. Because I mean, to me, Quantum, that was like he was that, telling he was telling Bond and them, it's like you all don't even understand what you don't even understand what this is. Right. Yeah. You Quantum was here. He said, you know, we got people everywhere. <laughs> You know what I'm saying? Right uh-huh. here. My man right here. Isn't that right? So <laughs> right, exactly. So I, I think that what he was telling Bond in that scene was hinting at this movie where it was mm-hmm. like we were going to see all those tentacles, you know, from the from the uh, from the opening titles, all those tentacles in everything, you know. So to the point where Bond would feel like shit, I can't even fight my enemy because my enemy is everybody. You know, it's like everybody around this, you know. Uh, Spectre is in MI6. Spectre is in the British government. Spectre is in the, the American intelligence. Spectre is everything. Yeah. Spectre is everywhere. 
And that's, you know, uh, Mr. White actually says that when Bond asks him, where is he talking about Blofeld? And Mr. White says, he's everywhere. Mm-hmm. You know, he's sitting at your table. He's doing this. He's doing that. And to me, that was like, okay, that was the movie I wanted. That's not mm-hmm. the movie we were in, though. You know, mm-hmm. we didn't get mm-hmm. that movie. Mm-hmm. But for a minute, Mr. White was in that movie. And that's why I like his character so much. He was he was representing the wider kind of broader more interesting and more layered storytelling that I thought this movie was going to give us. Um, so I, I, I roll with Mr. White. Okay. So last one, Ernst Stavro Blofeld. Um, otherwise I don't even know what the hell his name was before he revealed that in the movie, um, Hans, whatever. So what did you feel about the main villain of this film and the, 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 uh, ostensibly the foster brother, I guess of uh, James Bond. What did you think about him in this movie? As played by Christoph Waltz. This was this was the centerpiece of my problem with this film because it was it was it was like it was like the Emperor in the Rise of Skywalker. It was like <laughs> Moriarty. Everything is attributed to me. I caused all of it. <laughs> I caused I'm the author of all your pain. But it was so personal to Bond in that Blofeld apparently was Bond's older foster older brother Mm. but you don't have any kind of interpersonal reaction from Bond any 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 reciprocity of whatever their relationship was when they were kids Bond doesn't even seem to recognize dude at all and there's no note of any kind of facial reconstructive surgery <laughs> I mean you don't have any of that and it's just it's just we just have to accept that right. there's this connection between the Skyfall film but in Skyfall, we never heard about a foster brother. We never heard about a surrogate father and how James was. We don't hear, you know, any of that before, right. during, or after Bond's exchange with Blofeld. Right. It made no sense. It, you know, it was bad. It was just, it, 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 for the life of me, I cannot understand why the various people involved in the production of this film at some point didn't say multiple people were like, this is not the way that we should go with this. I don't know if it was, and to be honest, I haven't done enough research to find out whose original idea with that. I don't know if that idea to make him the foster brother came from the screenwriters, John mm-hmm. Logan, uh, Neil, per- Neil, Neil and was it Purvis and Purvis and Wade. Um, I don't know whose idea it was. Maybe it came from the producers. Maybe it came from, Daniel Craig or, mm-hmm. you know, Barbara Broccoli or Michael Wilson. I don't know. Um, but it, it just is, it, it has been surprising or has been, you know, a source of like wonderment almost for the last five years. Whenever I think about this film to try to figure out why did they think that was the route to go? Um, and now here's what makes it worse though, Arthur, is that again, and I told you I was going to bring this up again, but in Rogue Nation, Mission Impossible Rogue Nation, which came yeah. out uh, a few months before this film, we get introduced to what is essentially Ethan Hunt's arch nemesis, Solomon Lane, um, who was excellent in Rogue Nation mm-hmm. and only got better in Fallout. And the thing that thinking about Solomon Lane, what that made me do while I was watching Spectre and looking at Blofeld is 
we never get a sense. All the things you said are true. Like I agree mm-hmm, with everything you mm-hmm, just said. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. In addition to that, we never get a sense of why is this guy in charge? What's so mm-hmm. great about him? Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Like I said, with Moriarty in the Sherlock series, I know you there's there's several instances that prove how smart this dude is. Mm-hmm. And this, we're just he walks in there sits at the front of the board, the table or whatever, which was actually kind of dope because he's all in shadows and he just looks up at, you know, Bond and says, welcome, James. That was kind of tight. Mm-hmm. But he's, we never get a sense of why is he the head of Spectre? What is so dangerous about this guy? Yeah, yeah. Um, it, obviously, he's brilliant. We're meant to, you know, I guess that's where we're meant to believe, but we get mm-hmm. no examples that we get nothing. Mm-hmm. It's just that he's Blofeld. Mm-hmm. And I did feel like I couldn't help but contrast him with Solomon Lane, who in Rogue Nation and Mission Impossible in several instances proves why he is the, why he's the man, you know what I'm yeah. saying? Why he's, yeah. why he's the, a worthy adversary for Ethan Hunt. And, um, that was a big letdown with this. And Christoph Waltz did a really good job with what he had to work with. I like some of the lines. I like some of the energy he had. Um, he seemed very dismissive of Bond. Like you, mm-hmm. oh, you, you, he almost like he pitied him. You know, you just don't understand. And, oh, James, you know, James, 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 you know, it was mm-hmm, like that throughout mm-hmm, the whole mm-hmm, film, mm-hmm. which I thought was cool. But it was just it was just, again, very played out, very from another time. Um, dude, when he went in that room and he had his whole IT team there, like the whole the whole room was full of text. You know, what I'm saying it was like, this is your team. Like, we're all the henchmen. We're all the you know, where's right. the danger at? You know, what right. I'm saying it's like these are just people at computer. And it was like, uh, you know, he did all of this stuff. Like he, he tortured bond through all these, you know, yeah. tying together all these people yeah. and tortured bond through all these years because he was mad. Cause he stole his daddy and you know, killed that's his what father as to. a result of it. And he killed his father because of that. And it was like, this is silly. That's what I felt when I was watching. Like, this is silly. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And the shame of it is that there was enough there for them to have taken that and actually, created something that would have been very interesting forget the whole brother you know whatever but taking specter and introducing i think quantum was actually a good example this created by the same cats you know the same writers who yeah. uh purvis and way you know they they did the uh the quantum stuff as well um along with um uh my guy who wrote uh who wrote casino Roy- who collaborated with them on casino royale and quantum i forgot his name but yeah so they all created the same thing but with quantum what they did was showed you how it was interwoven into society, which I thought was very interesting. Inspector, we're supposed to feel that same thing, but then we don't get that. Mm-hmm. They're not interwoven mm-hmm. into nothing. They're meeting at midnight all together in some big ass room mm-hmm. in Rome. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. They've got some compound in the middle of nowhere. It's 2020 and you're still doing like layers, like, you know, in the desert somewhere. And it's like, mm-hmm. that just blows up in half a second. Is why Arthur, why did Bond <laughs> go to, why did Bond go to the compound? I don't, I never got, he just rolls up there with with Madeline Swan, you know, and I came here to kill you. Hey, man, look, how what, did they know to send the car? Do that? Like, how did they know say? to send the car to pick them I, up? I, he Who called ahead? <laughs> he gets off the train. He's just like, this could be a long wait. And I'm thinking. I'm like, hell yeah, because nobody on... knows we're here. Or at least nobody's <laughs> supposed to know we're here. <laughs> right. Nobody knows who you are, fam. Does, and I'm thinking, is he is he waiting because he's just waiting for anybody to drive by and he's going to flag somebody down? So, yeah, I, I, I think that for what he had to work with, I think Christoph Waltz did a really good job, but he didn't have a lot to work with. And I, and I think, you know, to be fair, man, it's not just 
I don't mean to put it so much on the writers, even on the direction. I think it was the it was the impetus to fit to take this thing, Spectre, that we haven't had rights to for all these decades. Now we got it back, and they took it and they were going to shove it into this movie and make you know it didn't matter. It was almost like yeah, man. Forget they, how it fits. Just what's put weird it in. Is like they acted as if they only could shoot one shot. Mm. What do you mean? Why not? And, well. Why not? Oh, you talking about spread build... over multiple films? Yeah, yeah. Why, why yeah. not? I think that I think that feeds into the excitement of that they had of like we finally got this back, so let's put it all in one film. Yeah, but I, I'm with you. I think that it would have made more sense if we've got a, maybe a hint of Blofeld, and then he would have got revealed in the next film. Can I just um, say that I am I am tired of it's the villain that creates the hero. <laughs> <laughs> I mean the mirror image and the, yeah you know I'm not going to be you so I'll be the hero instead Luke yeah. I am your father that started all that was perfect mm-hmm. you know but Blofeld created Bond the Joker created Batman you know <clears throat> Voldemort created Harry Potter it's just or Batman created the Joker it depends on your point of view but I, I get what you're saying yeah And I think, you know, that's another one of the um, kind of the crux or kind of the crutches that they depended upon was that whole we are a mirror image of each other. And I thought it worked really well with between Mm -hmm. Mr. White and Bond. Mm -hmm. It didn't work between Bond and Blofeld. I didn't see nothing of Bond in Blofeld or vice versa. Um, So, you know, it was just it was just kind of it was kind of weak to me. So, okay, so overall, though, to wrap this section up, women versus villain, did you prefer the Bond women in this movie, or did you prefer the um, mm. uh, the Bond villains? I I preferred the villains by a slim margin. Okay, and what what was that margin? What's was it? What gave them the edge? Well, I liked I liked C and I liked Hinks, um, mm. and I thought that I just thought that the villains game Blofeld aside the problems with that, but I thought that the villain's game was a little more tighter than the, than the women's game. Mm-hmm. I give the edge to the, to the villains too. And it's very, very slim, very slim because to be honest with you, Mr. White takes them up high for me, mm-hmm. but Blofeld drags them down. You know mm-hmm. what I'm saying? So it's like, it's very, very, it's a very slight edge they have on the women and only really because of numbers. Cause we, we you know, we're talking about, two Bond girls, really, two Bond women versus mm-hmm. um, three or four Blofeld, Hank C., and Mr. White. You mm-hmm. know what I'm saying? Four mm-hmm. villains. So, um, not counting, like I said, not counting Australia at the beginning of the film. Um, so, yeah, I, you know, it's a very slim margin, though, man. And it's really because of Mr. White and Hanks for me. Um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 So, let's wrap this up, man. Let's wrap this up before we get to uh, the Q&A section. Let's, any last words, Mr. Bond? Any last words on Spectre for you? Um, I think Spectre's a uh, a real missed opportunity, um, but uh, it was rewatching it. It was more enjoyable to watch, and I think that the locations in which they filmed were exploited a bit more. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that Sam Mendes kind of hit his str- hit his stride on how to present Bond. Mm-hmm. Um, I I. I like the colors that that were used. The cinematography, uh, you know, was top notch. Um, I had some mm. problems with the editing, um, but um, 
the the sum was greater than its 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 parts. Mm-hmm. Um, I think for the most part, I agree with you. I, I think that I, I'll agree with everything you just said, but just I'll add to that the reason why I think those things happened. And I, I yeah, I definitely enjoyed this more because I saw this in the theater. And I'm, I was really disappointed the first time I saw this in the theater. Yeah, me too. Because um, yeah. I was I was riding that Skyfall high. I was, you know, having flashbacks to Casino Royale and Quantum. And it's like, I'm like, man, this is going to be, and they bring a Spectre back. What? You know, this is going to be, this is going to be it. Like, mm-hmm. this is going to be the, you know, this mm-hmm. is going to be the one. And I was really disappointed. So I didn't see this. I saw it once in the theater. And it was probably a good six months before I watched this movie again, um, which is, you know, great contrast to, the many times I saw Skyfall and the gazillion times I saw Quantum. Um, so, but for me, I'll add to what you just said. I'll only add that I, I, I should say, I'll reiterate that I think the reason those things happened was because the filmmakers were trying desperately, or I should say the filmmakers were overjoyed to be able to use Spectre again. And they just, you know, ham fisted this, that, that concept into this film. Mm-hmm. Um, and then they, Along with that, they were hell bent on reestablishing a lot of those bond tropes that have been missing, you know, mm-hmm. ever since Die Another Day. Mm-hmm. And um, they brought those back. And to me, that was some of them worked. I enjoyed a lot of things early in the film, but a lot of things kind of like worked to the detriment of the film. And I don't think it let I don't think it let Daniel Craig be the bond that he is. I think it, it kind of made him into the bond that some fans wanted him to be. Um, and I don't think that overall, I just don't think it worked. Mm-hmm. So, okay. So cool. That's it. Right. Uh, oh no, that's not it. Mm. You have questions. I have questions. Now the question is though, do you have answers? <laughs> <laughs> so this is the part of the, uh, the show. Now we've done, we, this is the, this is the, like Arthur said at the beginning, this is the last 007 and counting. I know you guys are sad, but you can always go back and listen to the, to the first three 007 and countings. Um, and this is the last one. And so for the first three, what we did was, you know, we did a section at the end of the show called Q and a, um, AKA question and Arthur. Um, so what happened was I asked, you know, Arthur three trivia questions based on the film that we're covering. Um, Arthur gets 25 points for each question. He answers correctly. 25 in honor of no time to die being the 25th film. Um, and then, you know, you guys, the listeners, you guys can play along and, you know, you keep track of your own scores. Um, and then we'll, you know, reveal how many points, you know, Arthur tallied up at the end. So four episodes, 75 points maximum attainable for each. So that's 300 points. So far, Arthur, mm. Casino Royale, as we've covered um, multiple times, you aced it. You got 75 points out of 75. Got all three questions right. However, um, Quantum of Solace was the start of a kind of a, a, a downturn for you. Um, you scored one out of three there, r- racking up an additional 25 points out of a possible 75. Then you repeated that with Skyfall, another 25 out of 75. So listeners, is Arthur going to rally um, for this <laughs> episode, this, this final episode of 007 and Counting? Um, how close attention of attention was he paying when he screened the film the other night? We are about to find out. Um, so are you ready? Do you mm-hmm. need some water? You need to do some jumping nah, jacks, push ups. What's up? It's, uh, All yeah, good. I'm ready. Okay. 
because, you know, because you are my brother and I care about you, I kind of gave you a layup for the first one, an easy one. So we're going to see how this rolls. All right. Um, question number one. Um, towards the beginning of the film, Q shows Bond the Aston Martin DB10 um, before revealing that the car is not actually meant for Bond. The question is, which double O was the car originally intended for? Now, let me say, listeners, I'm going to read through all three of these questions twice, and then we're going to come back to them and give Arthur time to give his answer. So we're actually giving him some time to actually think about these. So I'll, I'll read question number one one more time before moving to question number two. Uh, towards the beginning of the film, Q shows Bond the Aston Martin DB10 before revealing to Bond that the car is not actually meant for him. Question is, which double O was the car originally intended for? I say originally because we know Bond ended up stealing that joint anyway. All right, question number two. In Tokyo, M, Tanner, and C are present at a vote, present at a vote for Nine Eyes, which is the security system, you know, that your boy C wanted to bring online. Uh, the system needs a unanimous vote from all countries in attendance before it can go online. However, one country stands between C and the unanimous, unanimous vote. Which country was it? So I read that one again. In Tokyo, M, Tanner and C are present at a vote for nine eyes, the security system. The system needs a unanimous vote from all the countries um, in, in attendance before it can go online. One country stands between C and the unanimous vote. Which country was it? All right. Final question. This is a quick one. What's the name of the safe house that M, Q and Tanner enter near the end of the film? What's the name of the safe house that M, Q and Tanner enter near the end of the film? And I'll even give you a hint on that one. It's actually written on the door and Q makes Q actually says it out loud when he asks, says that he's never heard of it. So he actually says the name out loud. All right, Arturius Maximus, let's go back to the first question and see what you got. So again, I'll repeat the first question. Uh, in the, near the beginning of the film, Q shows Bond the Aston Martin DB10 before revealing to Bond that the car is not meant for him. Which double O was the Aston Martin DB10 originally intended for? Arthur. That would be 009. 009 for the win. My boy is back. So proud of you, man. Yeah, <laughs> 009. Um, do you think that there ever, you know, there has been films where we've seen other double O's? Yeah. You know, most notably probably GoldenEye with 006. Um, and I think it was was it Thunderball when uh, all the double O's met all the, all the double O men in Europe, like showed up at that big meeting or whatever. So, but I wonder when we're actually going to see like some random double O again and living daylights. We saw double O's. Um, but I thought when they mentioned him in, in this movie, I thought we were actually going to see him, you know, later on or, or her, um, later on, but they never, oh, they like, never did that. Yeah. I I'm, I'm here to pick up my car. That right. Been yeah. That would have been, that would have been dope. Yeah. Um, okay, so yes, 009 is the correct answer for question number one. So, listeners, if you got that, 
give yourself 25 points. All right. Question number two. Um, in Tokyo, M, Tanner, and C are present at a vote for Nine Eyes, the security system. The system needs a unanimous vote from all countries present before it can go online. One country stands between C and the unanimous vote. Which country was it? That would be South Africa. Oh man, I was so I was so hoping you were about to say South Korea. Yeah, South <laughs> Africa. <laughs> South Africa. Uh, you were paying attention. Okay, all right, all right. Another twenty five points for Arturo. Um, so yes, listeners, if you any of you got South Africa, that's right. If you just said Africa. You need to turn this podcast off because we don't want you listening to us. <laughs> <laughs> South Africa. Yeah, South Africa. So that's 25 points if you got that. Um, Africa is not a country. Um, all right. So last question, Arthur. If you get this one, I'm going to be really impressed. Um, quick one. Quickly, quick setup. What's the name of the safe house MQ and Tanner enter near the end of the film? I got nothing. All right. I'll give you a hint. I'm going to give you a hint. That's not going to help you, mm-hmm. <laughs> but I'm going to give you a hint anyway, because it's the only hint I can really give you. It is, it is p- the partial name of, um, a, uh, original Ian Fleming short story. Oh, damn. <laughs> That's what I said. It's not, it's not going to help you, but it's really the only hint I can give you. Do you, okay, let me ask you this. Do you remember the scene I'm talking about? that safe house and at the end. Yeah, I do remember the scene. They're like, well, how safe, how safe is this place? You know, and M says, we're about to find out. Um, But Q says, when they come in, he looks at the door and you see it because the camera shows it. Yeah. It's, it's written in gold letters. It's, it's obscured. Like it's, they're not all like, it's like, it's worn away. Part of the the words worn away. Right. And Q says, um, you know, blank. I've never even heard of this place. And M is like, well, that's the whole point of a safe house. All right, so listeners, one more time for y'all, you know, because Arthur's just giving me a blank look, so he's he's got nothing. I got nothing. Uh, what's the name of the safe house M, Q, and Tanner enter near the end of the film? The answer is Hildebrand. Ah, yeah, it, it just all came back to you. my into my mind right now. No, you know, Hildebrand it, is a secret nod. The Hildebrand safe house. I'm reading this offline. Is a secret nod to one of Ian Fleming's short stories. The Hildebrand Rarity, uh, which is part of the book For Your Eyes Only, um, James Bond 007. Mm. It is a harsh story about torture and mistrust. Um, maybe the perfect name for a Secret Service apartment that nobody should know of. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, that's where it comes from. What were you about to say, though? That for what it's worth, I actually remember the the the, the hotel room number that uh, Estrella and um, Bond go into at the beginning of the film. Was it three something? Three twenty seven. Three twenty seven. Okay. I actually anticipated you asking me that. <laughs> That's why. I okay, let me ask. So well. Here's another. Okay, here's a bonus. Do you remember what Q's hotel room was at the ski place? Twenty five. Twelve. Twelve. Damn. <laughs> All right. I do have. A, I did have a. Um, you know, I had a bonus question, but I've, we've already talked about it. I ask you anyway, just for fun. Uh, to see if you if you pay attention when I talk or if you just uh-huh. like, you know, go back to your phone and start looking at your text messages <laughs> when I'm talking. Um, 
when was the last time we see a Spectre meeting, a Spectre board meeting in Spectre, you know, the, the meeting we've talked about in, uh, at, at length in, during this episode. Uh, but before the film Spectre, when was the last time in the Bond franchise we saw a Spectre board meeting? Thunderball? Correct. Thunderball, yep. When dude got electrocuted. Yeah. Um, all right, so Hildebrand, so you guys... So let's, I'm tallying up Arthur's points. So out of a possible 75 for this episode, you got 50, which brings you to a grand total. Like I said, there's a 300 points total. If you get 300 points for all four 007 and counting episodes, meaning if you get 300, you like a James Bond, I don't know, what is it? Like a, you like M, you're basically M. If you get this, <laughs> right, if you right. get zero points, you like you like a uh, Blofeld in this movie. Um, so out of three hundred, you got one seventy five total. So those yeah. two films in between, Quantum and Skyfall, really cost you. Yeah, yeah, those cost you. But you still did better than half. You know, you did better than half. You you rallied at the end. All right, it's a full lid uh, on this final edition of. 007 and counting. Uh, my name is Arthur. Uh, my Twitter handle is A R R T H U R R. And you can find me at Isaac Perry, I S A A C P E R R Y, on Twitter and on Instagram. Make sure you check out our sister show, um, The Music Snobs. Um, I think maybe by the time you guys get this episode, there'll be two more episodes of The Music Snobs dropping uh, within before that season wraps up. So, uh, check us out on 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 uh, at Total Music Snobs on Instagram or excuse me on Twitter, um, and just Google Music Snobs. And as Arthur says, you can find us. What do you say? We're all the fine RSS feeds and See that, anywhere you listen to great podcasts. That's what I'm gonna quiz you on because I say it every show. <laughs> Hashtag Mad Unreal on Twitter. Uh, let us know what your thoughts are. Any of your favorite Daniel Craig moments? Uh, if you agree, disagree. See you next show. Keep it unreal. Peace. Thank <laughs> you.